Hello and welcome to National League Town. Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Greetings from the cauldron, Jeff. Half game here, half game there. It's getting hot. On today's show, we discuss MLB's new rules for 2023. But first, in the words of Long Island's own Billy Joel, here you are in the ninth, two men out and three men on. Nowhere to look but inside, where we all respond to pressure. How are you holding up, Greg? Well, better than Darren Ruffwood in that situation. I'm doing okay. The New York Mets have been lately doing moderately okay, depending on what day of the week it is. Some days they're beating the hell out of markedly lesser opponents. Some days they are making markedly lesser opponents feel a greater degree of self-esteem than they probably have in weeks. So it has become a bit of an up and down September. And what I think we both hoped would be a runaway has become a legitimate pennant race. And yeah, the pressure is on not just for the Mets, but for ourselves and for all Mets fans, because it's September. It's a pennant race. It's supposed to feel like this. Uh, We were hoping that it wouldn't feel quite like this, but every day brings a new episode and a new chapter. The way to go here is to say that we're we're lucky. <laughs> we're lucky to have this. Maybe not as lucky as, say, the Dodgers are, having already clinched the National League West. But, boy, I can remember some Septembers not that long ago, like, oh, I don't know, one year ago or two years ago or almost every year with a few exceptions in our lives where September was all about they need to bring up so-and-so to get a look at him to get an idea for next year because it's all about next year now. It's all about this year. It's all about this month. It's all about every game. And we are blessed by the Major League Baseball multiverse of postseason options that there are six slots and the Mets are too far above the fray to completely fall through the floor. And now that I've said that, I, I still believe it, but maybe I shouldn't have said it out loud. At the very least, got a divisional race, which we've known about for a while. And it's only natural that it gets to us a little bit, but we shouldn't drive ourselves any crazier than we have to. I don't think should automatically look for the worst in every situation right now. They are a first-place team as we speak. I hope that when you're listening to this, they're still a first-place team. They're definitely a postseason team. And my shot at Darren Ruff notwithstanding, this team got you here, got us here. And this team still has a little ways to go. So let's, I don't want to say let's relax, because people who tell you to relax just make you more riled up, I think. But Let's take them one one night at a time, one inning at a time. Hope the Mets break out of it a little more often, a little more consistently. And let's remember that someday we're most likely, most likely going to enjoy the fact that this pennant race happened, that this season happened, and that we are now in, I believe, an era where things look better than they don't on a going basis. We only have this year to go off of, but all the other things that we've talked about all year, the framework 
for a better organization, a better franchise is in place. And don't let one loss here or there or two losses out of three here or there blow your mind too much. Yeah, this is what we wanted. It doesn't always feel that way. For me, I'm not doing great, Bob. With every inept at-bat by a DH, with every bad call from an umpire, and they seem to be coming more frequently, and with every weak fly ball by the cleanup hitter, I get angrier and angrier. And I don't want to, but it feels amplified because it's September. And yes, as you said, there's a fallback position. This is not all or nothing. At minimum, there will be games at City Field, as many as three of them in the first round of the playoffs, likely against Philadelphia. That's not an awful fallback position because it means you're still playing and you can still win the World Series. But it's not what we want. We want the days off. We want Scherzer and DeGrom and Marte and all of the players to relax and get rested up mentally and physically. And we don't want the Mets to be playing the Dodgers in the second round, a rested Dodgers team. If the Mets get a bye, the earliest they can play the Dodgers is the NLCS. So there is a lot at stake, but it's not all or nothing. And yet the pressure is there. And this is what we want. We're not looking ahead to 2023. We're not talking about the schedule. We're not wondering when spring training opens or when the next edition of Athlon comes out for the next year. We're in the moment and it's wonderful and it's awful and it's what we wanted. I want the opportunity to buy a t-shirt that says division champions and I want it to be on discount because they've won so much more that by November when they're the division champion t-shirts are marked down to like five bucks because who wants a division champion t-shirt when there's World Series gear to be had? But we've just come too far this year to feel like, oh boy, we finished with the best second place record in the league. Once the calendar turns to that part of October, none of it really matters. If the Mets have to play an extra two to three games to get where they're going, it's perilous because it's designed to be perilous. It's designed to make you want to win the division, but that's what it comes to. That's what you'll face. But... I don't want to face that. <laughs> I want the built-in advantage. Whatever its perhaps downside would be of, well, now they, they cooled off and now they're going to play a hot, I don't know, Cardinals team in the, in the second round. I mean, it's, it's not for sure what the seeding is going to be below Dodgers one and everybody else still a little bit up for grabs, but I suppose the Cardinals will be the three seed and we'll be either the two or four seed and Milwaukee, San Diego, and Philadelphia can figure the rest of that out. If the Mets were playing the kind of games they've been playing, some, you know, nice 9-3 smashing of the Marlins, let's say, and then some annoying 4-1 loss to the Cubs, with the things you described, with the inconsistent hitting and the more than inconsistent umpiring, and the Mets were 20 games out, We'd still be pretty annoyed by that because that's the kind of fans we are. We or, or we'd be uplifted by the good ones because that's also the kind of fans we are. I guess it's just been such a joyride for the first five months for the most part. And then to hit bumps here, what did Buck Show Walter say on Tuesday night? It's hard to finish a good season strong, something like that. It's hard to do anything in baseball, as he points out. After every game that they lose to a so-called subpar opponent, 
makes the point of saying, you know, those are major leaguers in that dugout as well. We're the fans that we are. If we just dabbled, we wouldn't even know this was going on. If we just dabbled, we'd say, hey, how are the Mets doing this year? And maybe we'd show up in October and say, oh, look, the Mets are in the playoffs. I think I'm going to watch because that's fun. It's the getting here. It's, you know, the, the cliche about the journey more than the destination. Well, the journey has grown a little dark, but it's not pitch black. Lenny Randall is not at the plate and the lights are not going out. Still in very good shape. Maybe we keep that in mind uh, the next time the bases are left loaded, whatever inning it is, which seems to happen a little too often. We've dissected Buck figuratively a lot on this show, and I did want to ask your opinion as to why Buck didn't lose his stuff on Tuesday night when the umpires clearly blew the call on that two-strike bunt when the runner ran inside the baseline and the ball clearly hit the runner's helmet. Buck knows the rules better than the umpires, but the umpires are right there. Why don't you think Buck let the umpires have it there? I don't know. Buck didn't feel like it was going to change minds. Maybe Buck got an explanation that at least to the extent it could satisfied him. For the most part, we're kind of past performative phase of managers getting really mad because they know that there's only so many places it's going to take them. Uh, This rule simply does not have a replay aspect to it, which is kind of weird, as Buck said about four or five times in the post game, maybe after going through the business with Pete Alonso's home run that went just foul. Uh, which I didn't think was really up for debate, but Buck initiated a a crew chief review and that didn't go anywhere either. Maybe he was just a little beat up by the whole thing. I mean, yeah, he could have screamed some more at Laz Diaz and gotten a little more satisfaction, maybe vicariously given us a little satisfaction because we as fans love to see that sort of thing, but maybe it was just time to move on in his judgment. I think he initiated the crew chief review so Pete didn't look bad by standing out there and running out, running the bases. Pete was sure it was a home run. So Buck, I think, knew it was foul, but he didn't want to leave Pete hanging there. It's hard to see from home plate, as we saw in Miami when Angel Hernandez judged from home plate that a ball was stuck under the left field fence when in fact it was not stuck under the left field fence. But nonetheless, Angel Hernandez called a a triple by Brandon Nimmo, a ground rule double, proving once again that Angel Hernandez either has superhuman vision, is a visionary who sees things nobody else does, or more likely is still Angel Hernandez. Well, that's it for today's show. Wait a second. Angel Hernandez is here. Angel Hernandez is waving off the end of the show, and he's saying that we have to do more show. Greg, that's not his call to make. Angel Hernandez will make the calls he sees fit, and if you don't like what Angel Hernandez is doing, Angel Hernandez will eject you. So I will have to say, no, he says we can continue to do the show. He just lost count. He he said that it was uh, three strikes. He said the at-bat was over. But, uh, no, okay, they're, they're conferring. The umpires have gotten together. Yeah, okay. No, this, the show still has uh, a couple innings left. So I guess we can proceed. So we move on. 
MLB has instituted rule changes for 2023, and we're not going to belabor this point because you've heard plenty about it elsewhere, but we do want to touch on it briefly. And one thing I've heard over and over are people saying, why are they changing the game I love? Folks, this isn't the game you grew up with. The average length of a major league game is 305. It doesn't feel that way to me. The games feel longer, especially on Monday and Tuesday night. The average time of a AAA game with the pitch clock changes is 243. So that's over a 20 minute change. Why is that a bad thing? I'm all in favor of the pitch clock rules. How about you, Greg? Sure. Let's have quicker games. Nobody's asking for longer games. I I will confess that there was a game a couple of weeks ago that was over in about two and a half hours. I think it was a good game, a DeGrom game. But I was like, oh, is that it? (laughs) Putting putting one of those aside, and I wasn't about to throw the uh, the win back for, let's see if we can play three more innings and somehow blow this. This is probably the most important of all the rules changes in terms of quality of life, let's say. A quicker game, a game with less dead time during a sport where there is dead time by design. I'm all for it. I'm all for trying it anyway. And it will probably come with a couple of, you use the word belabored, I'll have a couple of labor pains being delivered. Umpires will probably even, not Angel Hernandez, probably lose track of who called time when, whether they were allowed to, whether the motion from the mound is starting. I think we'll get there. I think the whole thing about all of this is if it's a good rule, there's going to be a problem implementing it at first. And then it will take hold and it will seem perfectly natural. The rule I'm thinking of, and it's come in the last 10 years, and it was right there in that realm of this is not the game I love. The blocking the plate business after Buster Posey was wiped out and they said, you know what? We don't need our catchers, star catchers or otherwise getting run over. Just to say you can't do that. And they made some adjustments. And the first year, it was a mess. First year, it was like nobody quite knew where they were supposed to stand, where what the runner's lane was, uh, whether you could block the play with the ball, without the ball. Does anybody really think of that this, these days? Maybe three times a year, you'll get a challenge on something like that, where he was blocking the plate without the ball and let's take another look at that but for the most part baseball has moved on without catchers being run over and without base runners running into fully equipped catchers so i think it's going to be a little rough going with all of this stuff but i think for the most part especially the pitch clock they're never mind their heart their head is in the right place so I, I'm willing to take the short term hit, you know, obviously, in, until it blows up in the Mets face. I'm willing to take the short term hit for the greater long term good. I was amused that some of the players who voted just voted against it because they felt as if the owners were ramming it down their throat when this was the voting procedure that the players agreed to this winter. Great job by the union. There will be changes to the shift, all four infielders must have both feet entirely on the infield dirt when the pitcher's on the rubber. Two fielders must be entirely on either side of second base. That's going to take some getting used to, or there'll be some machinations for that. But one thing I hope that we can get back to is a hard hit ground ball between first and second returns to being a single. 
rather than finding a fielder. Because how many times have we heard, well, for 100 years, that was a hit? It seems a little unsporting, to use perhaps a naive word, to take away defensive capabilities. But it's not as good a game. It's never mind the game I love, I grew up with. It just feels off when you have three infielders shoved to the right side. Yeah, maybe the batter should be taking advantage and poking balls where he doesn't usually poke them and all of that. But I look forward to not seeing the third baseman in right field and things like that. I'm hoping that in a best case scenario as the rule evolves, maybe there'll be some sort of exception along the lines of three times a game you can place a fielder here or there because it really does feel like you're penalizing an answer i mean an answer to offense was let's tighten up defense well maybe it went boy i hate this phrase it went too far and it did it's it's just not appealing and maybe I i think you know we threw this example out there months ago you know maybe it's like zone defenses you make them illegal in some way but I do think for the for the most part, it's a positive development because I like seeing infielders in the infield. That's that's their job to be in the infield. You might not have had the career Daniel Murphy had because he played everything in short right field because he was not a second baseman by trade. And Tim Tuffle had to train him, put training wheels on him and stick him in short right field to make plays. But we've seen so many plays like that. It's not appealing. So. Yeah, let's let's see what happens with infielders playing like infielders. And there'll be bigger bases. <laughs> Hopefully it improves the uh, the number of stolen bases. Maybe there'll be full employment for Terrence Gore and Billy Hamilton. But I'm looking forward to these changes in 2023 as we gaze upon the 2022 Mets World Series banner at City Field. Well, you get that. You can have any rule you want. Jerry Seinfeld accused the Mets of premature jocularity when he said that the Timmy Trumpet event a few weeks ago at Citi Field was premature, that the Mets hadn't had anything to celebrate, that it was akin to the Baja men singing Who Let the Dogs Out at Chase Stadium years ago. I love Jerry. When I started stand-up, I wore a jacket and tie because I thought that's how stand-ups dress because of my love for Jerry. But Jerry, stick your criticisms in a sack. You mean you don't wear a jacket and tie anymore? How am I supposed to know whether you're a comedian or not? The Baja men at Shea Stadium prior to game four of the 2000 World Series, the night after the Mets got on the board to make it two games to one, they play Who Let the Dogs Out, which was a sensation across the nation, and the Mets had adopted it as their anthem. You're going to tell me that's why Bobby Jones gives up a first pitch home run to what's-his-name from the Yankees, and that's why they lose the World Series? That, to me, is an urban myth. Timmy Trumpet played at City Field. It was a beautiful moment, and the Mets won the finale of that series with Timmy Trumpet playing the night before. They won when he played. They were one and one when he played. He, they lost the first night, but it had nothing to do with Timmy Trumpet. They were basically already losing, if I recall correctly. And this is Jerry Seinfeld, like any fan, except we noticed because he's Jerry Seinfeld, celebrity Mets fan and icon uh, to not just aspiring stand-up comedians, but to television viewers everywhere. It's because Jerry Seinfeld had a bizarre opinion 
that he put out there. We all have bizarre opinions and we all put them out there and some are best ignored. Uh, some are just simply dismissed and we dismiss that. So yeah, the sack, as far as sticking it in there, stick it in Newman's mail sack. Cause I know Jerry doesn't want to go anywhere near there and let him enjoy Timmy trumpet and Edwin Diaz and hopefully some ninth inning saves to come. Rawlings announced a new gold glove for super utility players and it will be awarded this year. A Rawlings representative said utility players are some of the most versatile athletes you'll see on the field, and it's time for them to be rewarded for their tremendous defense alongside position players. Gee, Greg, where have we heard that before? You know, I think we were talking about the value of utility players and super utility players, and especially super utility players on the current day 2022 Mets a few months ago. I think we did a multi-part series on that in the middle of the season to paraphrase the Newsday TV critic of yore, Marvin Kitman, referring to the legendary Uncle Floyd, host of the greatest kid show that was made for adults on Channel 68 out of New Jersey in the late 70s. Uncle Floyd is ahead of his time by at least 10 or 11 minutes. And I think that describes where we were on the subject of utility men. Good for Rawlings. Good for the whole gold glove program. It's so easy to lose sight of some of the most versatile athletes on the field, as uh, the press release put it. And anything that recognizes players like Luis Guillorme and perhaps Jeff McNeil, I don't know how they will categorize him since he's pretty much the starting second baseman these days, but especially Guillorme. We would applaud Luis getting that kind of recognition and certainly being considered for it. So way to go. Glad we could help Rawlings see the light if in fact we had even the slightest bit to do with it. We're nearing the end of today's show, but I have to ask you to subscribe and allow notifications because our playoff schedule will be different. We'll be telling you more about that, and the NLT marketing team is working on this right now. But if you allow notifications, you will know when a new episode drops because, again, our playoff schedule will be different. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to rate our show on Apple and Spotify. And Greg, how high should they rate our show? Well, first off, I just want to say regarding notifications, if you don't like notifications, I understand I hate notifications. So what you're going to want to do is go to your favorite podcast platform and just check it about every three minutes from now until, I don't know, Thanksgiving, you know, with rainouts and whatever. The rating, you feel it, it hits you in the right mood if you said this is okay i like listening to national league town and i think other mets fans should listen uh, we discussed edwin diaz a little bit here and there he wears number 39 39 times 2 is 78 78 plus 8 is 86 we're trying to win the first world series since 1986 therefore i'd have to say give us five stars because that's i think all you can do but I just like to have fun with math. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling other people about us. You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's weird saying, tell us how great we are. Tell other people how great we are. But you know what? We're talking into microphones with each other. It's nice to know it's out there a little bit. So that's that's why we ask. And it helps other people find out. That's the main thing. We're, we're not looking for stars for their own sake. Please. 
tell people about us. Let people know you like it. If you don't like it, to yourself, of course. But thank you for listening. No pressure. We'd like you to do that. Until next week, I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm Greg Prince. And as always, let's go Mets. Copyright 2022 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify.